Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am host Maria Leonard Olson. I'm a civil litigation attorney, TEDx speaker, uh, radio show host, obviously a podcast host, author of 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. If you want to learn more about me and my work, go to Maria Leonard Olson with an E dot com. All of this is in the show notes, and I really hope that you'll take the time to like my TEDx talk called Using Life's Challenges as a Force for Good. In that TED talk, I discuss various things that have happened in my life, including divorce, empty nesting, sexual assault and abuse, and finding out my father who raised me is not my biological father. And I believe that by sharing my life's challenges, other people won't feel so alone with theirs. I kept them secret for more than 50 years, and I don't do that anymore. If you hit the like button, it moves my TEDx talk up in the visibility algorithm. So please take a moment and hit that like button. Uh, the link is on my website. I have the great pleasure and honor of interviewing extraordinary women whose paths have crossed mine. They inspire me, they make me think differently, and ultimately, I believe, make me a better person. And this extraordinary woman crossed my life path uh, just a couple of months ago. This woman, Chris Catherine Hand, was one of two producers for Walt Disney's adaptation of Madeline, Madeline Lingle's beloved children's classic, A Wrinkle in Time. You likely read it when you were a child. You may want to read it again. It is one of the seminal books of our generation, or even the generation past, but it should be one for today as well. Catherine's career in the entertainment business was launched working for the legendary writer and producer, Norman Lear. She was the associate producer on Lear's Emmy-nominated ABC TV special called I Love Liberty and helped to create the national nonprofit People for the American Way. Later, she served as a development executive at Zoetrope, Francis Coppola's company, where she worked on several projects, including Godfather 3. Catherine has also worked for years in the public service sector. After having produced several large-scale events for national organizations, garnering a Gracie Award for Best Public Affairs Programming in 2009, Catherine was recruited by the Obama administration, where she was part of the core leadership team involved in communicating policy and political decisions impacting the federal workforce. She continues to develop new projects and enjoys coaching others to become warriors in their own lives. Her memoir, Becoming a Warrior, is scheduled to be published in October 2022. This, this podcast is scheduled to air in November, so the book will be available. Do yourself a favor and go out and buy it. It'll be available everywhere. So let me just read you a couple of quotes that people have contributed to this extraordinary book. 
quote, becoming a warrior is the triumphant story of a shy 10-year-old girl with a dream who perseveres for 50 years to make that dream come true. Working in both politics and entertainment, Catherine Hand learned lessons that gave her the courage and strength to navigate through personal tragedies and professional hurdles. Quote, becoming a warrior is a treasure trove of wisdom and advice for anyone with a dream. And one more. I read Kat Madeline Lengel's award-winning novel, A Wrinkle in Time, when I was 10 years old and dreamt of one day making it into a movie. It would take five decades for my childhood dream to come true. My journey would include working alongside the television luminary Norman Lear in the creation of the nonprofit People for the American Way and a 25 year long conversation with author Madeline Lengel about her book, My Memoir, Becoming a Warrior, My Journey to Bring a Wrinkle in Time to the Screen. Due to be released in October, 2022, illustrates one woman's persistence through a demanding career in the entertainment industry, the sudden and unexpected death of my beloved husband, raising three young children on my own, and eventual success. In 2018, over 50 years after I read A Wrinkle in Time, Walt Disney Studios released a major motion picture based on this beloved novel directed by Anna DuVernay, written by Jennifer Lee, and starred Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Chris Pine, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and Storm Reid. That is extraordinary. Catherine Hand does not give up, and neither do I. So welcome, Catherine. Well, hello. It's so nice to be here, Maria. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I, of course, had to have you on, on my show when I learned of your story. And I'm so grateful that you put pen to paper and you got it published, because uh, this is an extraordinary story. Tell it. us about the genesis of this book. Well, it was um, really strange. Um, after the movie was released, I came home. I live in the Washington, D.C. area. And I came home and I kind of fell into a depression mm. because here my 50 year dream is over. The movie um, was released. Unfortunately, it didn't hit the numbers that we were expecting. So there weren't going to be sequels because there are sequels to the book. And I really um, wanted to face why I did what I did. So I joined a writer's group, which was hugely, hugely helpful. And I decided to work with them on how to frame a 50 year long journey. How do you tell a story in just a couple of hundred pages that took so long? And I just thought, you know, I'm going to sit and I'm going to tell them what happened to me after I read A Wrinkle on Time on a Dark and Windy Night in 1963. And that kind of led to me actually focusing on how to tell the story. And thankfully, you know, I got it to the publisher who fell in love with it. And here we are. Well, we are better off for you having persisted. That is an incredible story. 
simply wow. incredible. Like, did were there times when you thought, oh my gosh, this is never going to happen. I may as well give up. Did that come my into God, so many times? Um, I think the, well, there were many dark periods, but I do remember one in particular. Uh, I was about to turn 40. I was pregnant with my third baby, third child. And I was just sitting on the end of the bed sobbing. I felt like a total failure. And my beautiful, wonderful husband put his arm around me and said, well, what if you make it at 41? Will that count? And I looked through, I looked at him through my tears and I said, well, well, I guess. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, faith is not when things are going right. Faith is when things are going wrong. Have you lost faith in what you're doing? And I said, no. And he said, okay. Well, then let's shoot for 41. And it wasn't until I was over 60 that it finally happened. But I remember that moment in particular uh, really stayed with me forever. That sometimes, you know, when we really want to give up, we really have to kick into our sense of faith. And it's not when things are always easy, it's when they're difficult. Absolutely. Wow. Your husband... Sounds like really an honorable, wise man. And I know that from our discussions, how painful it was to lose him. Yes. And I, I believe that grief is deeper when we've lost someone who meant so much to us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it was so sudden and unexpected. He was 47, went to work. Mm -hmm dropped dead that day of a heart attack. And um, the paramedics called me and uh, my kids were two, six and nine. Mm. And the year-old and the nine-year-old were on their way coming home from school. And the two-year-old was with a uh, daycare person up the street. And the paramedics were on the phone with me. And when they, when they said that we could not resuscitate him, I, I said, what do you mean? I was in shock. And I yeah. said, what is, what is, what do you mean by resuscitate? And they said, well, I'm sorry, your husband is dead. Oh and my, gosh. my first response was, oh, he can't be dead. We have a two-year-old people who have two-year-olds, um, don't die. Right. And, um, so it was, and at that moment that he told me that my children walked in. So, the saddest part was that I could not tell them in a more, in a calm way, which would have been a lot better for them. But uh, it was uh, really devastating. And, and the thing that, I think one of the things that really got me was that um, up until that moment, I'd always been someone that could, you know, bounce back. That was what people would say to me a lot about my personality was that I could bounce back and I could not bounce back. Mm. The mm. wind was just knocked out of me for a very, very long time. So how did you get out of that deep, dark hole? Well, it took a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, there's this, uh, there's this line in A Wrinkle in Time where when these three um, otherworldly creatures come to get the children to go off and rescue their father, and uh, and they say to to them, you know, your father may be able to do for you what he can't do for himself. Mm. And I think that that is what happened with me. It was that um, I loved my children so fiercely that 
I, I had to do for them what I couldn't do for myself, which was that I had to overcome this grief is so they could overcome their grief and that they could thrive and not just survive. And I think that's what really motivated me to do everything I could possibly do. I can completely relate. When I got sober 10 years ago, I was not in a place where I could do it for myself, but I could do it for my children. Mm -hmm. And I can completely relate to that. And now you have three adult children who are making their ways in the world. And yeah. Of course, no life is without challenges. Right. And I know we've shared a bit about our life challenges with our children. I won't go there <laughs> in this podcast, but um, I feel I feel some of your pain. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, listening to to your introduction, it's just overwhelming to try to process all that you have had to um, overcome in your life. And I think that that's one of the big themes in A Wrinkle in Time and what, what I think motivated me for so long and it still does is what I learned from Madeline from the book and my personal conversations with her is that darkness exists and um, we have to overcome our fear of the darkness and light candles. And I think that um, it's key to understand that's overcoming the fear that you won't be able to overcome the darkness. And so you can't change things sometimes, but you can change your fear of them. And so I think I had a great fear of living my life without Patrick, my husband, mm -hmm. a great fear of a lot of things in my life. And I had to overcome that fear. Oh my gosh, that is so well put. So mm -hmm. well put. There's so much fear governing my life that I need to talk back to it. I don't want to live in fear, but those negative thoughts come in my head yeah. and I actively have to feel them and talk to them and question what is really true and what can I control right now? See, that is so key because um, I think one thing that I learned was that those thoughts, and they come to me at 3 a.m., but those thoughts um, are temporary. They're not permanent. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you kind of like do exactly what you said, you know, they're temporary. You have to look at them. You have to like, sometimes even if you have to wake up in the night or you have to write about it, but then you have to let them go. And the, the, you know, if you're motivated to even understand that they are temporary, you know, I think that helps you get on the other side of them. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that reminder, because it's something I have to work on every day. Oh, I know. I think we all do in one way or another. Yes, absolutely. So I bet that most people really want to know, what is it like to meet Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I think that... Uh... She's so much like you see on her show. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, she is, we, there are many, many, we all have many selves, right? We all have lots of um, uh, levels to our personality. And, you know, she is an extraordinary businesswoman. She can be very serious. She's brilliant. Um, you don't get to be Oprah Winfrey without all of those qualities, but she's also very down to earth and very friendly and warm and just exactly how she is on her on her show. And I think that we all felt really 
excited and happy that one of the wisest women in on planet earth was going to play one of the wisest women in the universe. It just all seemed to be perfect. And I was really thrilled when she agreed to play the role of Mrs. Witch. Mm, wow. What a triumph. And yes, I've read a lot about Oprah's life and she too is a survivor of a lot of trauma. Yeah. And I think that informs our wisdom. If we can turn pain into learning opportunities like she has, she yeah. just, just dispenses wisdom daily and brings in people, surrounds herself, it appears, with people who lift her up and teach her, continue to teach her and us. And I, I hope to keep learning for the rest of my life, uh, ways in which we can elevate our lives and learn from pain. Well, I think it's true. I think um, one of the big um, takeaways from why I wrote Becoming a Warrior and what I believed, what I found that Becoming a Warrior means is that, you know, you have something worth fighting for, whatever that something is, and it's something greater than self. So, so in your, in your uh, journey to overcome your pain, you're sharing it with so many others, so they will benefit too from what you're learning. And I think Oprah does that too. So from whatever the pain she may have experienced as a young child and other issues in her life, she works at overcoming all of that in the as a byproduct of sharing with so many others. And I think that, you know, Colin Powell once um, said on, in an interview that a warrior on a battlefield is that you're fighting for something greater than self. And I think there are other warriors in the universe who are not on a battlefield, but on the home front trying to illuminate the human spirit. And I think those warriors are also fighting for things greater than self. And mm. it's an act of doing that, that you heal. Wow, that is beautiful. You are a very wise woman. And I'm so <laughs> glad that our paths have crossed. So what is it? What was it like being on the movie set? You know, Americans, have we live in a celebrity culture. Yeah. So you got to be there and watch your dream come to the big screen. What was it like on a daily basis? Because I think I would have just sat there starstruck watching <laughs> Mindy Kalin and Chris Pine, who I think is one of the most handsome men in today's um, TV and movie scene. I have to say, you are completely right, Chris. <laughs> so good looking. You know, I could be his mother, but he's- so, I know, seriously, me too. You know, and, and Mindy, are, and they're so funny, and Reese, oh my God, she's so brilliant. They all are, you know, they don't get to be where they are without being brilliant. Right, but, yeah, it's okay, keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so every day, you know, you, you get into- the needs of the day, right? Yes. But I never, ever lost sight of what I was witnessing, which was the dream coming true. And um, that was overwhelming. It's like, no matter how bad things would get or something didn't work, you know, it was always in the context of understanding the trillions of things that had to have happened for us to even be there. Yes. And so I had this deep sense of gratitude and appreciation um, in the mix of all of it. And I was, uh, you know, I, and I just fell in love with Storm Reed, who played Meg Murray, the central character. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were auditioning 
young actresses. It was so funny because um, each one of us, Jim Whitaker, the other producer, Ava DuVernay, the director, the studio, we, we would all say it when and we were looking at all these tapes and every one of us would say, well, have you seen the one about with Storm Reed? I mean, it was like there was this collective consciousness working that we all thought that she was the one that could carry the picture. Mm. And she did, you know, and uh, she's gone on to have such a great career. So I was really pleased. And in the other two young boys, you know, uh, Derek McCabe and Levi Miller, they were just adorable. And I was just, you know, very, very happy. I think, um, I think it was also great watching Ava DuVernay work. I mean, she's an, a very formidable and talented director. And it was just really awesome to see her mind work and things she would say and, you know, how she would bring people together. Um, I was really, really in awe of her. And, um, you know, it was, um, it was an extraordinary situation and circumstance. I loved being in New Zealand. We were in New Zealand for two weeks. That was wow. awesome. I loved that. And we were up in Northern California. And then we were able to shoot a lot of it in Los Angeles, which was fantastic because, you know, budgets, you know, when you think about it, a hundred million dollar budget for a film, you're bringing, you know, a hundred million dollars into the economy of that state. Yes. So I felt really good about that. I know it's a crazy wow. thing, but you know, I, I was something else that I took into uh, my thinking when I was, you know, watching everything every day. But all of the um, stars in the movie were really exceptional um, all the time. Absolutely, it is a beautiful, a beautiful pick, which I hope will have renewed life. And I think it will because it's very well done and you should be so proud of it. Well, I tell you, when um, when it was released, the day it came out, March 9th, 2018, my daughter, Caitlin and I, I was in New York and we went to several theaters around New York City, you know, in Harlem and East Village on the West Side. And I'd go to all these different screenings to watch the audience. And it was so thrilling to see young young girls really identify and love seeing this young heroine on screen who kind of like brings back great wisdom to the planet in the course of saving her young brother, her father and her young brother. And it was just wonderful. I mean, kind of like what the dream was about, right? It wasn't just, it wasn't just that I love this book and it was my dream. It was that I thought that the themes and the messages of the book were so wonderful. They deserved my effort and it was really great watching the audience you know really love the film I, I just had such a great time mm, how wonderful I would love that I mean my son just finished his first film and I was not invited to the set but I hope that in the future I will be invited and get to watch it because yeah I'm a little bit of a a fangirl when it comes to certain certain actors I mean and everyone who has never done it before I believe is interested in seeing how the sausage is made yeah it's very hard work you know one of the things that um you know why would anyone think about this but it's a huge collaboration you know you're bringing together three four hundred people that have never met mm -hmm. and they have to work closely together for six months or longer 
and they have to have a shared vision and we all have our unconscious biases or ideas of what would make a good movie and you're just not going to win all the arguments it's a collaboration and uh you know for some people that can be a very difficult thing i think to get a movie made whether it is a huge blockbuster or not uh, you at least were able to come together and share a dream and work in unison to make a movie. And that's yes. really hard. Well, I know you've worked in the in in entertainment industry for a long time. So was there anything during the making of this movie that really surprised you? Um, or well, I, you knew, well, you already knew? You know, one of the things that it was a sweet surprise. One of the things was that when it was announced that Jennifer Lee, who had written Frozen, had been hired to write A Wrinkle in Time, the announcement went around the world, literally. Wow, wow, the wow. Internet. And I was reading the news releases in all these different languages. You know, not that I could read the language, but I could see the announcement in Japanese, you know, wow. uh, in Russian. Yeah, I mean, it was just, I think I was um, happily surprised and shocked by the interest um, and the press that the movie um, garnered. And I, I loved it, but I was surprised by it. And I was so thrilled that people were interested in what we were trying to do. Beautiful. Wonderful. I'm so happy for you. I know that you grew up in a politically active family and you too have worked in the political realm. How did that, how does that inform your life? I know that you have a lot of um, friends who are prominent politicians and as do your parents. And I think growing up in that atmosphere must have affected you. So are there any lessons given the, oh, I don't know, tense political climate that we currently live in that um, maybe maybe dismay you without getting it really intensely political? I know that you grew up in a political family, in other words. How did that inform your life? Well, um, I'm very grateful for the um, opportunity to meet some of the people that I've met in my life, mm -hmm. and the stories that my parents have shared about their life. My father had gone to work for Lyndon Johnson in 1957. Wow. When he was, when Johnson was Senate Majority Leader. So, you know, I grew up thinking that government was really wonderful, that it brought significant change and value to people's lives. And also in the days during the civil rights era, you know, um, it was really, as my father would say, it was really about, are you for or against changing culture and making the world better for more people? And there were, um, you know, of course, Republicans and Democrats uh, in disagreement, but not in the way that they are today. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we were able to bring about the Civil Rights um, Act and the Voters' Rights Act and Medicare, Medicaid, you know, all sorts of things that people benefit from today. And so um, I think a lot of times when my parents would tell me stories about meetings or events they were uh, they attended with some of the people in the news, you know, I 
I saw a couple of things. One that famous people are just like us, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, not, they're not that different. They just uh, were able to rise to a challenge um, and, you know, succeeded at it. And they didn't give up, you know, they, they made the impossible possible or whatever it was, you know, what we talked about earlier of overcoming all forms of darkness. And, um, and I think also listening to their stories made me always see a bigger picture that it's not just about one person's point of view, but many. And how, again, do you find that compromise in all of those many points of view? Mm. So I think yes. that that was that really kind of guided my, the way that I saw the world. I think also when I read A Wrinkle in Time at such a young age, such an impressionable young age, that one of the things that in the book that really stuck with me was this whole notion of fighters in the galaxies, you know, fighting back the darkness. And then when, um, you know, the happy medium or Mrs. What's it talks about the great fighters that have come before or Beethoven, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Buddha, Muhammad, all of these different, you know, people that had been in the world history. One of the things that I learned when I was in Washington was that there are still great fighters today. They mm. didn't happen a long time ago, <laughs> you know, that they are these great warriors against darkness. And that was something that I always wish to aspire to, which is what I think one of the things that really motivated this journey was that I thought that message of wanting to illuminate the human spirit, what all of these people in our lives do, was something to keep in mind. And I think when I look at the, the divisiveness right now, I know it's really, really hard to do, to try to figure out how do we get out of this, but I think one of the things we have to take a step back and, and say, we will, we will get out of this. And then it's how, you know, it's, I think a lot of people think there's this doom and gloom mm -hmm. that this is the worst it's ever been. And I would say to you, no, it's not. Mm. <laughs> I would say to you, there are many other times in American history and in world history where it's been a lot worse. And thankfully, there were always people that believed in the future, that believed and had hoped that we would get out of this mire and muck. And I just think that we just need a lot of those people right now. And it's kind of interesting to me where there's this conversation going on of all political uh, persuasions about the fight for democracy, because, you know, everybody cares about that. And I think that's beautiful because that's what really separates us from so many other um, places around the world is this incredible experiment, you know, of yeah. democracy. And so I'm just extremely hopeful because you can't get to where you want to be if you are not hopeful. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is a really important, important thing to recognize. Thank you. You're giving me hope. <laughs> <laughs> So every, every woman who is on this podcast answers the following question. What do you do, Catherine, to become your best version? Well, I think it's three prong. 
one is physical men it's physical mental and emotional or spiritual physical is that i really try to eat well get exercise and and have a good night's sleep mm -hmm. i think you have to take care of the body in order to ever be whatever you would call your best self and then mental is that i think i really do try to practice this idea of whatever my adversity or you know thing that i'm trying to work through that i believe that it can be overcome and i think that that take helps me take a step back to figure out how and i think emotional and spiritual is what i said earlier about it's not it's not just about me it's about us you know, when I was a young woman coming into my own, it was all about self-empowerment and all about, you know, how to become my best self. But what I've grown to understand is that we need to go to the next phase of that and add something new, which is not just about me, but how, but how am I in relationship with others? And if it's out of sorts, then I try to figure out kind of make that better. Ah, oh, yes. Yes. What a wise woman. And I thank you so much for taking time out from your busy schedule to be with us and share some of your life lessons on becoming your best version. You can learn more about this extraordinary woman by going to Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, hand.com. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter. And this is all in the show notes, so you need not write it down. Thank you so much, Catherine. Well, thank you, Maria. This was such great fun. Thanks. And tune in again next week for another episode of Becoming Your Best Version. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.